Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Trish Gregory comes with the first of her two-part life-changing series entitled Faith Mentality. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. Now, about 31 years ago this year, yeah, 31 years ago this year, um, I was, uh, found myself in the month of March uh, in jail. And um, a lot of you already know the story. I won't waste time telling you the story. But um, while I was in jail, I found myself, there was one other female in the jail with me. And, um, you know, it was for no noble deed. It wasn't. I thought it was noble at the time. And um, I just lost it. And uh, was not high, was not drunk, none of that. I was, I, I was sober-minded and was determined that I was going to do my best to make sure this person knew not to touch me. And so with that being said, I found myself in jail for about 31 hours thinking about and pondering life, thinking about and pondering what had just happened, who were my real friends, the trajectory of my life, and the decisions that I made, needed to make now to change it. And oftentimes that's what we do when we find ourselves in situations of tests, trials, trauma, or tragedy, we ponder and think about what happened and then what do we do now, whether it's for a noble deed or for a not noble deed. When we find ourselves in positions where we can't do anything about it, we are pondering and thinking about life. And that's exactly what Paul is doing when he writes this letter to the Philippian church. He is in prison. He is about knee to waist deep in human waste. And he's sitting there writing a letter to make sure the church knew the most profound things that they needed to know so that they can continue to accelerate. And not only does he repeat, rejoice, always rejoice in this letter, he's also telling them, listen, get the work done. That's what's important. Get the work done. So in Philippians chapter 3, which is our foundation text, I'm starting at verse 12 in the Passion Translation. He says, I admit, now let me back up, hold up, let me back up, pause, rewind. We know Paul spent a lot of his letters talking about what he's gone through, right? He talks about being beaten. He talks about being stoned. He talks about being thrown over a cliff. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about being uh, uh, um, um, put in prison multiple times, right? So now he's just got through listing all of his achievements. And he's talking about how he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He's earned his ministerial, doctoral, theological degree. He's a Greek citizen. That's like being the elite of the elites, you know? He's talking about all these accomplishments that he's had and what one might consider to be credible to his stature. And now he's writing and he says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing. 
but I run with passion into his, God's abundance, so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. He says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I have one compelling focus, and that is I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus Christ. So that, I, all, so that all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. Yeah, of course, he's talking about heaven. But at the end of the day, he's talking about the victory that you have here on the earth for which Christ died. He's making it clear that his passion, his drive is to fulfill the purpose to which God has placed him on the earth to fulfill. So now, Paul, after sharing all his sufferings and all the things that he's gone through, he composes this list and he's focusing now on, you'll notice in this passage of scripture, there is a reference to two different things, the past and the future. But it's all being determined in his now. So now, Paul expresses what, we, what should be our attitude. He says to run with passion into his abundance so that we may reach the, the purpose for which Christ Jesus laid hold of us to make us his own. You have to know and understand that your purpose is tied to his abundance. And his abundance is tied to your purpose. Oftentimes, I hear people talking about, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm still trying to discover my purpose. And I'm not picking on you, but just know this. If you have that question, it's because you haven't taken enough time looking within you. You're too busy looking without you, outside of you. You are wired a certain way. God created you to behave and to show up in a certain way. I always say, no matter where you are or what you do, you will show up. In other words, the real you will show up. Now, if you spend time in, with God and you do what he says, reflect on the inside of you, you're praying in the Holy Spirit, he will show you who you are. See, what we have here in our Next Steps class is what's called Next Steps 2. And this is where you discover and find out more about how you're wired and your purpose. Your purpose is not your occupation. Amen. Oh, and check this out. Your purpose is not your paycheck. All right? Your purpose is how you are wired and who you are. First service, I use Minister Bernard because he's the one you're most familiar with, if you're, especially if you're new, newer. He is an excellent praise and worship leader. He is an excellent praise and worship leader. But see, praise and worship and his ability to sing and orchestrate and, con and conduct and teach music, that's a talent and a gift. So your gifts and your talents can take you somewhere where the grace of God can't keep you. Because even in your gifts and talents, you will always still show up. What do I mean by that? See, Minister Bernard is also very much an administrator. He is task-oriented. He likes getting things done. He is very, very unusual for someone in the creative space. Most people who are in a creative space, they're like, this is what it is. 
make sense of it. But he is very much organized, disciplined, and focused, and, 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 and strategic. Very much so. Minister Johnny, you all know him. Some of you, most of you know him if you're on our dream team as a dream team director, but he's also our business director. And let me tell you, he is an excellent business director. He is, he, he, when I tell you, he is, I mean, pit bulls ain't got nothing on him. He will get it done. He's a man of integrity. But guess what, y'all? He has a talent in, 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 in design and art. Who knew that? He's an artist. Who knew that? We have Gabe over here. Our Gabe, he does facilities. He does, I don't know what Gabe doesn't do, but Gabe does security. He, he can, he, he's a facilities tech. He's a security. He can do security agent. He, he, he does carpentry, but he also does, he can drum. Who knew that? But who he is, he, he's creative. He likes putting things together. He's, he, he, he's going to show up. So even in, whether it's uh, 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 doing security, whether it's doing uh, facilities work, whether it's building, he's going to figure out what's the pieces and how do we put it together. That's just who he is. So who are you? How do you show up? You could be a waste management worker and you still show up. If you're a natural leader, you are, you, you're doing a pep rally talk and you're getting the whole crew ready to run this route. Even though you're about to go out and make sure our city and our municipality is clean, that's how you're showing up. So how are you showing up? What do you do for a living? Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a, a non-working man. <laughs> that, that might not be politically correct. I'm, 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 you know, whatever y'all agree on, that's what y'all agree on. <laughs> whether you walk in the office or you work in the industry, whether you out in the field, come on, let's move past that. <laughs> whatever you do, I want you to think about what is it about your job that you enjoy? Even if you don't like your job, most people, the statistics show us that 70% of, 68% of people don't like their job because of the people they work with. But what about your job, what you do, do you like? Because most, in most cases, that thing you like is, 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 is a cornerstone of your passion, of your purpose. So in other words, Paul is reminding us when he talks about our passion, our purpose being tied to his abundance. He tells us that, in other words, that Jesus, the one who died on that cross, was beaten was, 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 was whipped, was nailed, was pierced. He died so that we can walk in the freedom and the fullness of the purpose for which we are here. Jeremiah 29, 11, most of us are familiar with this scripture. It says, for you know the plans and thoughts that I have towards you, saith the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That is God's plan for you. Now, just because you might not walk, be walking in it doesn't mean that it's not true. So what, is, what are we doing here? The intention here is to focus on fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. That is optimum, optimum faith. When you are recognizing and realizing your purpose, then faith comes a little bit easier because you're now in fulfillment of it. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? 
when you are operating in your purpose, you're not so distracted by the things that really don't matter. And your faith can be focused. Our mindset is essential to the growth and development of our faith and patience. How you think is how you exist. So if your mindset is set on developing your faith and your growth, patience, then there it is. But if your mindset is distracted and all over the place, well, there it is. Now, finally, we learned already, no, let me say this. Your mindset can deter or accelerate us towards the manifestation based on the faith decisions that we make now. Every decision you make now might be one of two things, a response to the past or a prediction of the future. The decisions you make right now can be steeped deeper into either being a response of your past or a predictor or an, uh, an accelerator to your future. So now we've already learned, and we heard Pastor Gregory talk about during the 40 days of faith, that one cannot call faith mentally ascending. What do I mean when I say that? You can memorize scripture, you can repeat it all day long, but until you let it allow it to change your behavior and your thought process, all you're doing is memorizing a script. The devil knows scripture. I had a class at the University of Michigan about the Apocrypha. I just wanted to learn something about the Bible, and that was one of the classes that they were taking. Dude was an atheist, but he knew the book of Revelations and the Apocrypha from the Catholic Church backwards and forwards. But he was an atheist teaching this. All right? So we learned that the faith journey towards God's manifestation involves many behaviors. Now, let me say this, especially here now in this crowd. When we talk about, because there's a lot of talk about, I manifested, I manifested, I said this, and it manifested. <laughs> Woo! God is the one that, there's power behind our words, yes. But God is the one that does the manifestation. Okay? This is not a special magic spell, hocus pocus, weary locust, here we come. No. God does a manifesting. So we've learned that when God is manifesting our faith projects or what we're believing, it involves a few behaviors. Number one, studying the Word of God, right? Y'all remember the juice demonstration? You remember what we ministered on next? So after studying the Word of God, what do we do? Process. Process. That's what we're going to focus on today. Process. Number three, what was it? Do you remember? Confession. Some of y'all was here last service. No, I'm just kidding. I believe you all remember because you all were active in your, uh, in your small group. And then number four, patience. Patience. So now, what happens in this processing uh, period? We are establishing a faith-based mindset. Once you've gotten the Word of God, then you're allowing it to settle in your spirit. You're allowing it to become a reality in what it says and who you are. You are trusting it beyond your own experiences and your own knowledge. You are saying, I declare, because I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I believe by the testimony and the recording of history and the testimony of the Word of God that He died for my sin, He was put on my, that cross, He rose 
rose again and he lives at the right hand of the Father. I've chosen to believe this. Therefore, when he says, by his stripes I was healed, I am healed in the name of Jesus. It's beyond what I feel like right now. It's beyond what it looks like right now. I know and I am dead set on achieving and walking in the healing that he's already provided me. Okay? When he says that I came to heal the brokenhearted, I don't care what they did to me. My heart my, will not be hard. I will remain soft towards God because I trust him, the lover of my soul. I will not stay stuck in unforgiveness, but I will receive the healing that he has provided me. And in that healing, it causes me and invokes me to minister mercy and healing to others, right? Three mindsets that Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 3. They must include, number one, realizing that our strength does not equal God's strength. Realizing that God's strength does not equal our strength. Number two, leaving the past behind. Number two, leaving the past behind. And number three, which I won't get to today, we'll talk about that next time, being faithful, faithfully focused. Being faithfully focused. These are mindset that's, that mindsets that will continue to feed your freedom and your growth from the insecurities, distractions, and unhealthy default behaviors that easily creep into our best intentions on our, during our journey of faith via patience. That's how things come up is when we go back to our default behaviors. Oftentimes, when we're talking about counseling, if anyone's gone through counseling, if anyone's gone through therapy, if anyone's had pastoral counseling here, one of the first things that I do after I hear everything that's being said is we, most times, in most cases, I say 95% of the cases, let's talk about your family of origin. Let's talk about where you came from. Because your family of origin was paramount in creating your thought process. The experiences in that household, whether you grew up in a foster care group home or whether you grew up in, a, in Bel Air, Fresh Prince, you have a way of thinking and behaving that was indicative of other people's behaviors and thinking. And no matter how hard you try, sometimes you end up walking in it. So... There comes a time, Scripture talks about, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where he tells us to look into the mirror of the word so that that reflection shows us us, and we thereby make, dis make decisions to change behaviors and mindsets and thinking. Now, that requires faith because you're trotting into an unknown territory. Listen to what Jesus says. Number, let's talk about it first. Let's learn about these three essential mindsets. Three essential mindsets. Number one, I don't depend on my strength to accomplish this, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I do not depend on my own strength to accomplish this. Know this, we were never created to live life without God. That's right, that's right. We were never made to live life without God. That was before the fall of man and even more so after the fall of man. There is not, there, there is, humanity cries out to a superior being. Some call him Buddha, some call him Muhammad, some call him Hare Krishna, 
we say Jesus, who is the real God, the only true and living God. But it's instinctive within us to know that we are not it. Although we fight to be it, we in humanity's creation know that we are not it. We're not at the top of the chain. Humanity cries out for it. And Jesus is the only one that said, let me come down, show them who, this, who the real God is, not Pharaoh's God, not Bilal's God, the who the real God is. And not only that, I'll die and come back, just to make the point clear. Right? Zechariah 4, 6, in the New King James, he's, he's being used to prophesy to Zerubbabel, and he says, It's not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We're talking about purpose here. We're talking about how you were designed. We're talking about not being able to do this in your own strength, i.e., ambition. When God calls you, he equips you. He provides for you. He, he instructs you. He has a purpose for your life, but it doesn't mean that he left you to accomplish and walk in this purpose alone. God created us for fellowship with him, and he created us to require fellowship with him. So to not, you know, Pastor Greg was quoted as saying, to not know the purpose of a creation inevitably leads to abuse. I can name a few of your purposes because we're grounded in it. A few of your purposes is righteousness. Some of you are created for righteousness. He redeemed you. He saved you. He healed you. Some of you, we all are called and our purpose is holiness. We're all called to holiness. We're all called to glorify God in everything that we do. We're all called to walk in the designs and cultivate the the, 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 the purpose that he's created us in. And in that, we do the first four, the first three. So now, when we fail to recognize God in our purpose, it's defined as ambition. What? Human faith. Because, you know, a lot of people say, I have faith in myself. I know I can do it. I know I can do it. I'm the little train that could. And I chug a chug chug up that hill right? We believe in ourselves. And then we add that to mental ability, your education from Harvard, your connections with the president, the vice president, the governor, the mayor, the council people, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, whoever your connections are, right? Your affluence in your position, your sorority, your fraternity, whatever the case may be, mental ability equals ambition. What's ambition? The strong desire to do or accomplish something typically requiring determination and hard work. But see, the problem with ambition, because ambition is sexy. I said it. <laughs> Ladies, you know it. When he starts talking about what he's planning, what he's doing, where he's going, that's how he got you, right? Uh-huh. Now, the busters that you dated before you got married, or those of you that are single, be careful. If you don't see progress, he just talking. 
right? But the problem with ambition alone, because nothing's wrong with ambition. Many successes have been accomplished by way of ambition. There are plenty of people that I know that are not Christian that got success, have success, six, seven, eight digit, uh, eight figure accomplishments, great families by sheer ambition. The only problem with ambition when God is not in it is that it comes with wearing yourself out. It can show up as loneliness. You don't work so hard to get here and then you find out at 42 years old you're all by yourself. You ain't married, no kids, nothing. You're stressed. You lose your family. Your, your families complain about never seeing you because of ambition. Drive. The grind. Hustling. Right? Sheer ambition can show up with breaking down your body. Sheer ambition can break relationships, climbing up that, that corporate ladder, stepping on whoever to get to the next spot. So when a sheer ambition and God is not involved, it often comes with dire consequence. So now, Proverbs 10.22 in the Passion Translation, it says, True enrichment comes from the blessing of the Lord and rest and contentment in knowing that it all comes from Him. King James says, when God adds a blessing, He addeth no sorrow to it. Understand that the blessing is the empowerment to prosper. The blessing is the ability to walk in an anointing that's specific to who you are because of your relationship and your enjoyment with Him. And he says that he addeth no sorrow to it. When it comes from God, he, there's no counteract to it. Even when the weapons are formed, it doesn't prosper. He gives you the plan on how to get out. Now, number two, Paul goes on to say, however, I do, not, I have, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past. He says, I have one compelling focus. I am I mean, I'm rocked in this. I'm anchored in this. I forget all the past. Stop. Now, there's an excerpt in this here article that I was reading called, in Psych, it's called Psych Central. And the article is called Healing from the Past and Living in Your Present. It says, for those who struggle with letting go of past pain or regret, they can feel trapped by their situation and unable to move forward in their lives, feeling unable to go uh, past the lead, uh, unable to go forward, and many can lead, lead to clinical depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, or even suicide. So when you, oftentimes when we are so stuck in what has happened, of course that's the extreme, but when we are so stuck in what has happened, it is very limiting to how we can go forward. Luke chapter 6, verse 62 in the American Standard Version, this is Jesus talking. He says, but Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's not talking about it's fit for heaven. He's saying it's fit for the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God's way of doing things and walking in the covenant promise that he has provided. God's way of doing, you cannot do God's way of doing things while having your head stuck in the past. You know, people often use the analogy of the car. You have this big old windshield so you can have a good peripheral, windshield, side, so you can have a good peripheral of what you're, where you're going. But you have two side view mirrors and one rear view mirror, a little bitty, to take glances of what's behind you. Because the focus should be on what's ahead, right? And then oftentimes, you know, Especially if you were, you know, 
young and hot. Don't act like you don't know what I'm saying. Young and foolish. You know, oftentimes we could say, because I was that person. You know, I was saved for a long time before I really got saved. Like, for real, I believed that Jesus was my Lord and Savior for a few years. But I didn't really walk in it until like three or four years later. But I still acted a fool during that time, right? Because during that time, I was having fun. Jesus is going to cause my life to be boring. I still want, hey. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, B.C. equaled fun. Before Christ equaled fun. Because when I would go to church, I'm like, go to some of those functions. I'm like, y'all boring. So I thought I was leaving fun behind. Listen to what Ecclesiastes Solomon had to say in chapter 7, verse 10. In the Amplified, he says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. See, it's not that those days were more fun than being Christian and living this lifestyle. It's just that we let religiosity possess us in this Christian behavior. I promise you, I'm not trying to listen to Kirk Franklin when I am out on a date night with my husband. When the lights are dim, oh, yes. <laughs> and the atmosphere is romantic, I am not turning on Tasha Cobbs. I don't care how beautiful her, CeCe Winans, I don't care how beautiful their voices are. Right? When I want to dance, I can dance for the Lord. Let me dance, 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 all night, all night. I love doing that, but when I'm with my honey, I ain't thinking about none of that two-step. <laughs> I want to slow it down, right? I can party for God and have a great time. Now, even the way we fight, we fight different. You know, I remember <laughs> when I first got saved, I told you I had to get dipped a few times. And most of you know, one of the biggest things God delivered me from is from t a temper, it, you know, just a temper. Uh, the way I grew up, and this is one of those family of origin things, we yelled, we yelled. And if we couldn't get our point across, we fought. And sometimes, especially me and my brother, that's how I ended up in jail, laying hands on a cop. <laughs> Who does that? So, I learned, I had to learn in my mindset to change how I responded to adverse situations. And it was never about the other person as much as I had to address what was going on in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6 in the New Living Translation, he says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans, mere humans do. He says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, that mindset, and to destroy false arguments. 
We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after we have become fully obedient, we will punish anyone who remains disobedient. See, when we understand who we are and whose we are, we do not come down to the level of mere human reasoning and mere human behavior. Colossians chapter 3 we see things from his perspective and we see things from a higher and divine uh, position making steps of faith to not respond the way they would want to us to respond you know some of y'all went back you know i will go back to 313 in a minute i will go some of y'all go back to 213 some of y'all go back to 470 some of y'all go back to 407 some of y'all go back to new york wherever you go back to what am I talking about? The way you used to respond to situations. Now, here's a biblical example of someone that couldn't, could not avoid looking back. Genesis chapter 19. In the Amplified. Let's set it up. Abraham was talking to God, and God told Abraham, I am going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy it because of the evil that is in that land. Well, Lot's nephew lived there with his whole entire family. I mean, Abraham's nephew, Lot, lived there with his entire family. And Abraham says, please, God, would you not destroy it for 10 people? After all the negotiation, he says, 10 people? No, you're going to have to get them out of there because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so then now here we are. God's about to allow evil to penetrate and deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And, but in the meantime, he sends his messengers to Lot. And he says, and the messengers get to Lot, and they tell Lot, when they had brought them aside, outside, one of the angels said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stop anywhere in the entire valley. Escape to the mountains of Moab, or you will be consumed and swept away. So dropping down to verse 23. And the sun now is happening, it's on, it's popping. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down brimstone, flaming sulfur, and fire on Sodom and on Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. But Lot's wife from behind him, not beside him, but from behind him, foolishly and longingly looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. I believe this actually happened. And what the commentary was saying was not only was she lingering behind as if I don't really want to leave that behind. Though it was evil, though it was bad, though it was nothing good for me, I have experiences there. I have friends there. I have history there. It's a part of who I am. She lingered behind. And though he said, don't look back, she looked back and became a pillar of salt. Why a pillar of salt? The land that was being destroyed was right by the Dead Sea. So she became the essence of what she lingered on. So when we look back and say stuck in history, what he did to me, what she did to me, what they did to me, what I lost, what I could have had, when we're stuck there, even in grieving, even in grieving the loss of a loved one, if they're in heaven, we have to learn how to rejoice that they're in our future as well. Lord knows that my mom passing rocked me because that one I wasn't, I was expecting my dad. 
we had prepped, we was on standby for daddy for a long time. But when my mom passed away, I was like, whoa, whoa. And no matter how hard it hurts, we have to get to a place where we are focused on what's ahead so that we can be where they are and we could be where God is calling us and we could function in the abundance that he supplied for us and we could receive the, 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 the power that he died on that cross to relay to us. C, mercy is mandatory. Mercy is mandatory. We're talking about forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting the past. Woo! Mercy is man. I'm saying that real. Say mercy, mercy. is mandatory. My forgiveness, My forgiveness. I, must I must give. Understand this. Your mercy, that means, what is mercy? Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. When God gives us mercy, which is new every morning, we are not suffering the consequences of sin that we essentially woke up in. Our flesh is screaming as soon as we open our eyes. You know it as soon as you hit the snooze button. You in sin. <laughs> we make sin too deep. Sin is simply missing the mark. Sin is not walking in the purpose. So we are not getting the consequences and the and the and the and and the evil that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve, okay? Grace is we're getting the blessing that we don't deserve. Grace is we're getting all of the good things that we don't deserve. You can't earn healing. You cannot earn peace. You cannot earn but by way of pleasing God, right? Luke chapter 17, verses, uh, starting at verse 6, I'm reading from the message interpretation. He says, be alert. This is Jesus talking. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Well, let me stop there. I didn't do this first service. He says, if you see your friend, loved one, family member, going wrong, correct him. A lot of us don't deal with situations that are negative because we call ourselves trying to keep the peace. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Society right now is trying to redefine what is normal. Common sense ain't common. I said it, it ain't common, right? And so because we don't want to be put on the spot and we don't want to be politically incorrect, we go through this process of being accepting, tolerating, and not at least making it known that I don't agree with that and you're free to do what you want. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Amen. There's going to come a time where you will have to endure suffering for Christ's sake. Yes. Let me go on. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you and repeat it seven times through the day. And seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. He says, forgive him. The apostles came up and said to the master, give us more faith. <laughs> right after he talks about forgiveness, he said, whoa, ho, 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 we need more faith for that. But the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bar bare kernel of faith, 
say the size of a poppy seed. You could say to this sycamore tree, jump in the lake and it will do it, Jesus says. Now, forgiveness does not always equal total restoration. Forgiveness, people think that because I forgave somebody, let me tell you something, if she or he, married couple, cheated on you seven times in a lifetime, you are not, yes, you are required to forgive them, but it does not mean you have to stay married to them. Okay? If someone keeps stealing from you, yes, you have a responsibility to forgive them, but you don't need to let them back in your house. If every time you get with that family member and they're picking an argument, they want to go back to the past, you have to forgive them, but that doesn't mean you need to stay on the phone with them for an hour. So forgiveness is mandatory, but the conditions of the relationship in most cases have to change. And in many cases should change. An example here, this is Joseph, Jacob's son. Joseph was the one who was sold into slavery. Well, now let's start from the beginning. He talks about having a coat. He makes his family jealous. His family says, we're going to, we're going to kidnap him. So they kidnapped him. They conspired to kill him. They, then they, they said, no, let's not kill him, but they sold him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. He goes and serves as a slave. He makes it all the way up the ladder, and then he's accused of flirting with the, uh, with the governor's wife. And then he's thrown into prison, and now he's, in, he's gone through prison. He, he's noble and he's great in prison, but then he ends up um, uh, encountering someone that can probably get him out, you know, the hookup. He, he, he got paroled. And... And, and, and getting paroled, he was promised to, he promised Joseph, I'll make mention of you when we get out. I'll be a good, I'll, I'll be a good character witness statement for you. But he forgets to do it, so he ends up spending 13 years in prison for something he didn't do. And then he finally gets out, and then he works hard, believe in God, and he's all promoted to being the second in command. And here he is, second in command. Deemed with saving a nation. And he says, now, two sons were born to Joseph before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, causing to forget is what that name means. For he said, God has made me to forget all my trouble and hardship and all the sorrow of the loss of my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, fruitfulness. For God caused me to be fruitful and very successful in the land of my suffering. Joseph had enough sense to understand when, he's, when Paul talks about forgetting the past in the Greek, and when Joseph talks about forgetting the past in the Hebrew, it's not forgetting as in it didn't exist anymore. It's forgetting as in it's not a reference point. It's not an anchor. It's not who I am. It's not keeping me back. I'm not stuck there. I've used my past to be a bridge to my future. It did not change Joseph. He did not allow it to change Joseph. Who he was kept showing up in spite of 13 years of prison, right? And then he, when he gets out and he has his, his two sons, he names them 
Manasseh to forget, and then Ephraim, fruitfulness, because he understood that once I move past my past, God has kept me fruitful. Now, I want to repeat this full circle. We read in the beginning from Philippians chapter 3 in the Passion, but here's what it says in the New King, in the King James. He says, brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, as many be righteous, as many be justified, as many be saved, let us be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, if you doubt for a second that God doesn't have something greater for you in the future because of your past, he says, you keep riding with God and he will reveal it to you. There's a, you know, there's a wonderful story in Mark chapter 5. So let's have, uh, who, who's, who's up here? I don't know. Where, okay, I see Prentice. I see Minister Johnny. I see Minister Russell. Jabe, come on. Come on up here. So that's four. And then let's do Minister, uh, oh, there's Clayton. Come on, Clayton, you be Jesus again. So now. Oh, there's Bernard. Come on, Mr. Bernard. So the, one time before, my husband had Clayton be Jesus. In Mark chapter 5, there's this woman with an issue of blood, right? And she has this issue of blood for 12 years. Now, if you know, some of you all, you, you, you can't even deal with the fibroids for 12 years. Some of us just want to be delivered from that time of the month. But this woman had an issue of blood for 12 <laughs> All right, stretch your hands over there. <laughs> this woman has been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. So what does that mean? She's in pain. She's weak. She's distraught. Not only that, it says that she spent all that she had on physicians but found no cure. So she's down to her last pennies. She's alone. She's probably married, can't even be with her husband. Because she's unclean, she can't be amongst society. These are all the things against her, right? But she says in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, that if I, she hears about this dude, this dude is in town, and I'm hearing about his healing power. I'm hearing about, I'm hearing about how he's touching people and they are made whole. I'm hearing about what he's doing amongst people who need healing. And doggone it, I'm tired. I'm wore out. I'm broke. I'm just, I'm just not trusting. I'm rejected. I'm dejected. I'm oppressed. I'm depressed. I got to get to this Jesus and maybe perhaps, no, not maybe, perhaps she declares, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. So what does she do? This is Jesus right here, and, the, and his Pharisees, because you know he had his own MODs. <laughs> they crowding around him. It's crowded. He's in the marketplace. They say it's crowded there, and, they, and, and, and she's breaking through crowds. She's a woman, so she's not even supposed to be where the men are, number one. She's bleeding, so she's unclean. She's not supposed to be in society, number two. She's weak. She's, she's in pain. She's, she's 
uh, uh, capsulized and all the garments that, to keep her from showing forth blood, right? And you got these apostles here crowding around Jesus, trying to keep the people back because they're thronging him, Scripture says. But this woman says, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. What does she do? She presses for the mark of the prize of God in Christ Jesus, and she breaks through them, and she, and he, she touches the hem of his garment. Thank you all. <laughs> she touches the hem of his garment. I want you to understand something. It's just now he, he didn't just have on this robe. See, this right here, I got it while we were in Israel. It's a tallit. And tallit has the covenant of God, who he is. And the fringes down here represent all of his promises. All of his promises it represents thousands of promises. And the, the rabbis that during that time, they had longer tallits to show their distinction. So I'm sure Jesus had on the traditional tallit during that time. But when she says, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I want y'all to understand. She's saying, if I may but touch the promise, if I may but touch the covenant, if I'm able to touch what's available to me, I shall be healed. If I can break through the embarrassment, if I can break through the shame, if I can break through the guilt, if I can break through what they said about me, if I can break through the abandonment, if I can break through the abuse, if I can break through the rape, if I can break through the molestation, if I can break through the prison sins, if I can break through the drug addiction, the alcoholism, the absent daddy, the abusing mama, if I could break through it. She says, I shall be made whole. She said, no, she says, I shall be healed. And because Jesus leaked with virtue, he was dripping with truth. This woman's faith was so strong, she took it. Scripture talks about how the righteous suffers violence, but the violence got to take it by force. Some of you are in situations where you done did, did all the doing you could do. Let me submit something to you. Study it for yourself. I dare you. The miracle works that Jesus did was after everybody exhausted all the other options. Someone didn't just get the flu and come up to Jesus talking about, can you heal me? They were dying. They were destitute. Little boy was throwing himself in fire. Demonic. They were beyond the options. I'm like, God, why don't I see the miracles that I used to see? And he told me, because it's convenient to walk in the foolishness that's surrounding you. I'm way beyond my time. But listen, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, because see, the enemy, I just want to make sure you know this, online especially. Well, now, you know, we have ways in which we can just cope. We can just cope now with the sickness, the disease, the anxiety, the depression. We don't have to search some more on how to deal with just the symptoms. 
how to get a cure. They're not concerned about curing you. They want you to become addicted or relying upon the pharmaceuticals, the alcohol, the drugs that are out there because that's what's making money. I submit this to you, and if it's you, just keep looking at me. I love you. But they've also made it where you can get paid. You know, disability. I need to have a little something wrong with me and tell them something's wrong with me so I can keep getting this check and not go to work. I said it. But then when I believe God for healing, when you believe God for healing, you better be ready to let go of disability and Social Security. That's enough. Praise God. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away, and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died, rose from the grave, and he is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name. Praise God, we are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations, we are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or Text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.